Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. Junie Fisher. Yes, hi. Thank you, thank you very much Thanks. for thank stopping you. in with us. Thanks for having our, me. Our little tiny podcast. Yay. Thanks for coming, Junie. Thanks for having me. And we just saw you in a fantastic performance with three other yep. Doris outstanding Daly, uh, women. Annie McKenzie, Christian Harris. Yes. Yes. That Would you like great to fun. tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started here? How I got started with Elko or... Uh, right, performing here the, or how you got uh, started? Well, I perform all over the United States, mm-hmm. but the first time I performed at Elko, I came as a walk-on for Wiley and the Wild West and the Sons of the San Joaquin. I had done duets with both of them, and so with their lead singers, and so I came to do walk-ons, and then the next year I came as a performer, and then it was some years again. Last year, I got a call. Could I come and fill in for the virtual show? And I did. And then they said, oh, where have you been all this time? <laughs> so, we're going to have you here in 2023. And I thought, oh, good good time to do it. So so uh, I'm, it's delightful to be back. And, and, of course, all the headline performers that are here, we all know each other. We all work the same festivals. And we all are, you know, great friends. And, and you know, we hang out together. So it's 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 like old home week for some of us to get to see our our pals sure your voice is fantastic oh well thank you <laughs> and i was especially struck with your song about going back to missouri missouri oh, yeah. is what missouri, you said yeah, yeah yeah um because i about about leaving missouri yeah. leaving missouri yeah. yes and that you would not go back yeah yeah but you missed yeah, certain things and yeah certain it's parts from an it. album called gone for colorado and it was, uh, it's a story of my great-grandfather's early life. So that's part of a trilogy of songs about this teenage boy leaving his home in Missouri and working his way west. So he's going to, you know, and he never went back. He never went back to Missouri ever the rest of his life. He stayed in Colorado and then eventually moved to New Mexico and then to California. So uh, I set out in 2000. Ooh, let me think what year I wrote that album. 2006 or seven. I set out. Um, I was going to be touring in Colorado, and I made my way through Colorado in March, which is a horrible time to go. But I had gigs, and I was tracking his tracks, and I found the ranch that he used to have, and um, I was collecting information for an album, which I called Gone for Colorado, and it was a story of his early life as a runaway from Missouri. Not from Missouri, but from Missouri. Now, there is a difference. Do you know the difference? I would like to know okay. because I'm from Missouri. Where, where are you from in Missouri? I'm from Missouri. Rolla, Missouri. You're from Missouri, but, yes. And my husband and I have talked about that. Some people pronounce it Missouri. Yeah, it depends on where Missouri. you are. Ah. So my husband is from Missouri, and I told him when he first started dating, I said, Oh, I had ancestors in Missouri. And he says, Where? I said, Sedalia and Kirksville. And he said, oh, no, you had ancestors in Missouri. Ah, <laughs> now so I know how to say it right. Southern. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sedalia is kind of like, you know. Sedalia was the railroad stop for for everything going west. So that was as far as the railroads went, was to Sedalia, Missouri. And it was my seven times great-grandfather that took the railroads into Mm -hmm. Sedalia, Missouri. His name was... Well, it doesn't matter what his name was. Absalom McVeigh was his name. But uh, he took the railroads in there, and that was where all the all the cattle trails ended in Sedalia, Missouri. So we go, oh, all those things are made out west. Well, actually, all those shows showing the cattle drives, they were going to Sedalia, Missouri. That's where they were going. And then they'd load them on trains from there and send them on, you know, or, or, or drive them. They'd load them on trains from there and send them on east to the markets there. That's, that's the truth. And Kansas City was a big Kansas City was also huge. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that there we go. <laughs> so you've been involved with training horses. I have in my past uh, from the time I was, well, from when I was in college, uh, I started because that was how I could afford to go to horse shows myself, uh, was to take other people's horses also and to also train and and uh, I, that's how I made my way through college and stayed on the horse show team was riding a couple of extra outside horses and uh, my parents didn't support that so uh, if I wanted to do that I was on my own and I had to figure out ways so I figured out how to catch ride and um, I figured you know I would have a horse here and horse there I wasn't getting paid very much and I rode gates at the sales yard and I did all kinds of things and uh, then I, I had a, a, a for a while in my life, that was all I was doing was training. I sang on weekends, but I, you know, play with a band once in a while on weekends, but I wasn't doing that uh, full time. Then I moved uh, eventually to Santa Inez, California. I was working for a cutting horse trainer there and uh, start, started playing with the bands around there. And then they found a songwriter's guild. Well, I'd been writing for a few years by that time and uh, started working my way through the songwriters guild i would come to nash come to go to nashville uh once a year and go pitch songs and um eventually i moved to east tennessee to take a fox hunting job and uh when i left that i thought well i could go back to sandy inez or i could go on to nashville so i had some friends in nashville in the horse business so i went on to nashville and I left my guitar in the closet for about six months. And then I thought, okay, it's time to go out and start playing open mics. Well, everybody that ends up in Nashville was the best in their town. Okay. You go out and you see the real big boys and girls and you go, oh, and you leave your guitar home. And so I started going out and signing up for some of the open mics. And then some of the hosts of the other songwriter shows started noticing and they would invite me. And it got to where I was doing three or four songwriter shows a week, sometimes several in a night, and um, uh, did that. And that's where I got my songwriter chops, really, was doing those shows and writing with other higher-profile songwriters than I was. And um, um, Were you being paid? No. It's Nashville. Okay. People go, oh, no wonder you live in Nashville. I have a home there. But no, no, there's no (laughs) way. You know, you don't make any money in Nashville. You have to go tour. People, oh, everybody lives in Nashville. Yes, they live there. They don't work there. There's no, there's work there, but it's it's so little. 
is a, you can you can't make a living playing in Nashville. You have to unless you're a sessions player. You got to go out. I was managing a saddle shop and training three day event horses and training steeplechase horses and doing all kinds of things. And some friends said, you know, you should pull up together this thing. And and uh, a, a guy named Boomer Castleman, who had been uh, the songwriting partner for a guy named Mike Murphy, who became Michael Martin Murphy. <laughs> They were in a duet together called the Lewis and Clark Expedition, and Boomer and I were playing a show one night, and I thought, I'm going to quit playing the country songs I've got. I'm going to play some of these Western songs I've got. And I did one, and Boomer leans around and goes, hey, how many of those do you have? I go, oh, I don't know. He goes, got got like a demo's worth? I go, yeah. He goes, put together six. I got a a project that I could probably pitch that to. And so we tried it. and I had a publisher at that time, and we tried to pitch it to Warner Western, not knowing that Warner Western was imploding at that time, and they weren't uh, they weren't going to touch it because they were imploding. They knew that, and we pitched it to um, an, a folk, uh, kind of a folk uh, label, that the Writers in the Sky were on because I had a duet with writers in, one of the Writers in the Sky members on that album so we tried it there and they said oh you know we really like what you're doing but it's too western for folk and okay and so they said but you might try this label try this americana label so i pitched it to an americana label and they said oh we really like what you're doing but it's too folk for americana (laughs) (laughs) i go okay so it was it wasn't until about a year later that i went ahead and released it on my own label and unbeknownst to me, that was making its rounds. I thought I had just wasted my money do, doing an album, and it was, I was heartbroken. You know, I put a lot of time and effort into it, and I couldn't get it placed, not knowing I could do it on my own. But it's very naive to do an album on your own and think, oh, if I just put it on the Internet, people will buy it. No, they won't. <laughs> you have to be touring. And so I did talk to one uh one label they said well we we really like what you're doing we, we think it's pretty cool um uh, are you touring and i naively said no but i'm ready and they said well we we would be really interested in you once you're doing about 100 dates a year <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay so uh, anyway i ended up releasing it on my own it started finding its way into radio a little bit at a time and it it uh, ended up in the hands of a, a festival director in California who got a pirated copy of it. And he called me and he says, I have one spot left on my show next year. And Dave Stamey just listened to it. And he says, you're the real deal. Do you want the spot? And I was like, I didn't even know what I was saying. Yes, I go, yes, I'll take the spot. I ended up, I'm headlining at the Monterey Cowboy Poetry and Music Festival. And it's a spot everybody wanted. And I was lucky to have it. And that sort of launched things for me. And you know, seven albums later, <laughs> you know, it's been a good life. I, I have no complaints. It's been a great life. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you just have to figure out how to tour. That's the deal. You can't sit at home. They're not going to call you. You have to figure out how to go out and tour. <laughs> I bet that is a, a little bit of a challenge. Um, and are you're gone a lot then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, normal years, and the pandemic has changed a lot of things, and it's changed my way of looking at things. But um, be- prior to that, you know, I would be on the road for three and four months at a time in my motorhome, just, you know, living out of it. And yes, yeah, what you have to do. You have to learn how to travel solo and go stay out because there's no profit in 
running out, going home, running out, going home, running. There's no profit in that. You have to go out and stay out. That's the way you have to do it. So you just make a route and you work your way from here to here to here to here and here and go cross country and you come back. It's like a, being a traveling circus with one clown. <laughs> I think you're hardly a clown. Do you have any animals with you? or? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no because oftentimes I'm leaving my uh, motorhome at an airport and flying oh, out. Okay. To, you know, they'll, they'll say, like, I flew here from Arizona. So I drove my uh, motorhome through, su- through the southern part of California, stopped and did a show there, then drove it, parked it at the Tucson airport, and flew up here to do this. And then I'll fly back and I'll have a run through Arizona with about 10 shows. And then I go to Texas and have a festival to play there before I go head back to Arizona and then back to California. So. You have a busy life. That's what we have to do. <laughs> yeah. And you're smiling. Yeah, I, I love what I do. I, I love to play. Um, I, you know, I love to see my friends, but most of my work is not like a fest. Most of my work is solo concerts. So they'll, you know, they say, oh, I bet you see all your friends all the time. Well, I only see them at festivals because we're working the same theaters, but we're not working there at the same time. So, you know, so oftentimes Dave Stamey and I are playing the same places, but we're not there the same time. So, uh, but, but we're all friends and it's great to get to come to a festival like this and see, see a bunch of buddies that I've played other festivals yeah, with. Bad. Sure. Is, is there a website or something you'd like to? JunieFisher.com. J-U-N-I-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Okay. Want to talk about where you're at in the next couple months? Or or, uh, will, or is it too many places? No, no. When I leave here, I go back to Arizona, and I play, you know, Green Valley, Arizona, Sonoida, Arizona, Oracle, Oral Valley, uh, Benson, Sierra Vista, a uh, couple of dates there. And then I go up to Prescott and jump in with my friends Gail Steiger and Amy Hale, and we'll head to uh, Alpine, Texas, and play the the Lone Star uh, Cowboy Poetry Festival. There's a big one in Texas, and we'll play there. And then uh, I'll either uh, ride back with them to Arizona, but my husband's going to meet me in Texas, and I may run up to Dallas to look at a cutting horse up there. So Sounds like you have a busy life. Life is busy, but it's good to be busy. It's much better than sitting at home during the pandemic. Right. Yes. Binge-watching. <laughs> I'm sure... I have to ask, were were you always interested in music as a yeah yeah? When I was a little kid, mm-hmm. uh, I I walked out in the kitchen. I was about, I must have been four, and we had this red plastic harmonica in our in our you know toy box. And I walked out to where my mom was in the kitchen, and I played a song. On I wasn't just blowing on the harmonica. I played a song, and she goes, "Can you play another song?" I played another little song, and she says, she turns to my dad, she says. She just played the red plastic harmonica. And so I had piano lessons when I was little. I was four. Maybe I was, I might have been five by then. But I, I was, ha- I, you know, when you're five, you don't, you're not reading yet. And I couldn't read. And I couldn't learn to read music. I was a little, get, I got a little numerically dyslexic over learning to read music because I got my hands, not by my parents. My parents really encouraged it, but I had a music teacher that, thought that if I played by ear it was wrong and she should punish me. Oh no. So she spanked my little hands. Oh. <laughs> and she put numbers on my fingers and put me in the baby book with numbers on the things and I knew how to play music. I was five. And she's like punishing me. <laughs> and uh, then she told my parents uh, when they came to pick me up, she said, You're wasting your money and my older sister could read music. She was seven. 
Japan. She was taking lessons. They said, keep this one, but the other one, the little one, you're wasting your money on her. She has no talent. And they said, well, we thought she did because she plays by ear. And she says, no, that's wrong. That's all wrong. You're wasting your money. And they knew that there was something wrong with that. So they very, thank goodness, they pulled out, pulled me out of there, and they went and talked to an uncle I had who played guitar a little. And they said, do you think she could is big enough to take guitar lessons? He says, when her hand will go around the neck of a guitar, she'll be old enough to, to start learning guitar. Well, when we go over to their house, because they had a color TV, and <laughs> we go over to their house, he had a guitar that was in the corner by the piano, and I would stretch my little fingers around that guitar neck until I could go, look, look, I could, I could you know, get around it. And then, you know, when I was, I think I was just about seven, and they said, you know, we, we're not, they told me later, we're not, we weren't going to hold you back anymore. So they found a very kind teacher, and they explained what had happened. She says, I'm going to teach her to play chords and teach her how to hear and teach her to accompany herself and we're not going to do any of that punishing someone for hearing something and playing it back so thank goodness my parents were not musicians they understood that I was I wanted it and they encouraged it and they found a, a kind teacher that would give me a, a base to start from so that was where it all <laughs> that's a great story has anybody told you you sound a little bit like Anne Murray on some of the... Well, I'll take that. Anne Murray was a wonderful singer. <laughs> she certainly was, yeah. Thank, I'll take that. <laughs> when I heard heard you, I was like, wow, she sounds like <laughs> Anne Murray there on that song. Yeah. I'll take it. I don't know. You want to talk horses? <laughs> yeah. we. You know, you keep horses so you don't have money to spend on cars or drugs. Good point. That's a joke, you know. You're supposed to laugh right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, but you know. Uh, yeah, I think you told that on stage. Oh, I probably did. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I do. I've heard that. It, it's always been a part of my life, and uh, there have been a, a times. I, I can only think of one time in my life for a span of about three years after I quit the cutting horse business. Um, and I'm back to it now, but uh, for about three years, I didn't own a horse. I still rode, but I didn't own a horse. And then since then, I haven't been without. Um, they they are a part of my DNA, and I, I can't be without them. So, and that way, I you know I stay clean and sober because I can't afford to do anything else. But no, I, I I love it, and I'm back to showing cutters, and I'm having a great time. So. Well, thank you so much thank for you. having an interview with us, sharing your time and your thoughts with us. Thank you so much. Nice to be with you. Judy, best to you on the road. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. <laughs>